Welcome to the Intellectual Freedom Podcast. Here we analyze politics, culture, technology, and society at large through the lens of critical thinking and open-mindedness, not demagoguery and partisan hyperbole. I'm Dr. David Hopkins, Humanities Professor, your host and guide. So without further delay, let's get started. I wish humans could come up with a 100% revolutionary way to live together as a society. But unfortunately, the best we've figured out to live in an advanced democracy, political parties are necessary. I see no escape from this, so we need to reinvent how we do things. As this whole two-party system thing, it's just not working. Our present state of affairs, the general interests of these parties have been drifting like some massive iceberg further and further to the extremes. To the point now, each party demonstrates characteristics of fanaticism. The obvious lack of critical thinking and little tolerance for contrary opinions or ideas is just blatantly evident. The United States of America, with only two parties, the RNC and the DNC, they have a stranglehold on political thought. Yet, as the party zealots push the hierarchy further and further to the extremes, the middle ground where you and I reside has been abandoned. Forced to make a choice on who to support, grudgingly choosing the quote-unquote least worst candidate, They are, in essence, these political parties shut us out of the political process. For the non-zealot that's stuck between the left and the right, the emotions are anger, frustration, disgust, and dismay. As these squawking hens, they fight unendingly with really vile and disgusting language and actions we would not even let our children do. Society demands greater government reform. The people know things are not going well. We're outraged and aghast, and and we demand changes to laws and the way these are enacted. Yet, society as a whole, we do nothing to improve things. As such, we're kind of just sitting by idly, waiting for the government to fix everything. But how can that be? The same government that we are overwhelmingly, we dislike them and enjoy. In general, we don't trust them and see them corrupt. How could they be the ones that we sit back and wait to fix? How does this even make sense? As I begin, I readily admit the United States is a huge country with a very large and complex system. It's a bureaucratic monster. And the interconnections of these institutions, the institutions, the overwhelming capitalistic wealth, the ideological influences, outside government, outside global influences even, everything's all interconnected. And and the truth of the matter is that everything around them entails a much larger construct than I could ever fully understand. Probably not even the power brokers at the highest levels, they can fully understand this thing. So it's kind of naive to think or say that I have this all figured out. It'd be actually pretty foolish and pretty immature for me that, that I know this. I mean, if you want conspiracy theory, go to YouTube. You can find it everywhere. So I'm going to just try and lay out some facts and some truths and then try and present some options 
for your consideration so that you can arrive at your own conclusions on these political parties and the state of politics here in the United States. How did we get here, where we're at right now, 2020, and what is the solution to this mess? Is there even a solution to this mess? These are the topics for discussion in this episode. As something has to happen, having these two zealot political parties, putting the interest of the party and the power that they're in chase of above everything else, this is just a recipe for destruction and ultimately revolution and who knows, even war. The RNC and the DNC are just that full of hyper-partisan zealots that are devoid of any free thinking and integrity to serve the nation first we are really playing with fire here the status quo can stay in place for only so long something has to give our democracy is great i mean it's the best system ever created our two political parties have become cancerous leeches though on the democracy we see this every day they almost always vote the party line over 95 percent of the time when you turn on that tv and there's a hotly contested issue you know it and i know it they're not making those determinations based on what's for the good of the people they're doing it they're, they're lining up votes to their political party, and our news broadcasters even count these votes as they go. They also name call. They shoot down bills obviously beneficial to the American people. You know, coronavirus, whether how much needs to go, whether it's a Democratic three and a half trillion or a Republican one and a half, we should do something to make certain that those that need it are taken care of. They obstruct each other no matter what. Then quietly, pay attention to this part, like field mice, they pass just like they did this past week, a continuing resolution to keep the government open and spending, and it barely made a headline anywhere. See, when there are, when there are not political points to be won, you don't hear about it. When we need to watch most carefully to these two political parties is when they're doing something very quietly because that's usually when they're they're pushing things through. See, there's no political points to be scored by any of these politicians going up for re-election to have the government shut down. So what do they do? They come together to agree on that. But if you take a public debate interest like coronavirus or any other big issue, and oh my goodness, they scream, they squawk, they yell. But notice on that continuing resolution, which would have not helped any of those politicians in Congress get reelected, they just passed it quiet and, and went about their business. But let's shift gears here for a second and talk about why this system is breaking down. I mean, it has worked relatively well for many years in this country, but What's one reason our system is breaking down? We have to honestly look at this issue because when you study history and you study the breakdown of governments and and civilizations, income inequality has always been there. And we need to look at this. Capitalism, it surely works. In many ways, it's worked too well. It has made the United States the most wealthy country in the history of the world. The problem is the 400 richest Americans, that would represent the top 
0.00025% of the population. They have tripled their share of the nation's wealth since the 1980s. Those same 400 Americans own more of the country's wealth than the hundred than the 150 million adults in the bottom 60% of the nation. And that group has seen their wealth decline from 5.7% in 1987 to 2.1% in 2014. See this shift right here, this eroding security from families in the lower and the middle classes who rely on their tiny little bit of wealth to do everything like finance their retirement to smooth over when these economic shocks hit, like losing a job in coronavirus, for example. It's consolidating power in the hands of the nation's billionaires who are increasingly using their riches to purchase political influence. So one reason our system is breaking down is income inequality. No, this isn't some rant against millionaires and billionaires is the cause at all that ails capitalism. That is so overly simplistic and such a such hyperbole garbage. I don't even want to go there. Capitalism, it does work and it works so well. Uh, on the positive side of capitalism, it has made the United States, again, as I mentioned, the most wealthy country in the world. Millions have been raised out of poverty through education, entrepreneurship, opportunities to succeed. This is just simply a fact. People want to be in this country for the opportunities it, it has provided and continues to provide for so many. Yet, we're not being honest with ourselves if we don't analyze that this wealth, this highest concentration at the extreme top, is incredibly alarming. Even the most fervent capitalists must admit in America there are two classes. Those who have that wealth where the laws simply don't seem to apply the same way. They have access to power and resources others could only dream. And most important, the ability to shape, mold, control political thought through their vast economic fortunes. And then there are, well, the rest of us. Sure, it's true in a, in a capitalistic society, you could rise from nothing to incredible heights. That opportunity is there every single day of the week. I'm not denying that issue with capitalism, but it is true in a democracy that individual voter generally looks out for their own personal situation, whether they're rich or poor. But with such few people controlling a vast amount of the resources and access to the power brokers in Washington, D.C., the potential for corruption, heightening of the have and have nots, and trouble is going to be the result, as we now see is the case. With such a vast concentration of wealth and power in the hands of the few, apathy and distrust, they become rampant amongst the average voter. You may be feeling some of that as you're listening to this right now. For many, and myself included, sometimes it almost feels like they just as well might just as well be in another country. I have no ability to influence policy and change. And this breeds a population that's angry, frustrated, and really begins to hate institutions. Sadly, most of that negative emotion has been funneled in absolutely 
the wrong direction. Only 18% of voters approve of Congress. 18%. Imagine such a pathetically low approval rate. And it's pretty darn close when you ask both Democrats and Republicans and Independents. They do not approve of the decisions that Congress is making. Rather than all that anger and that frustration being focused and energized towards real change in the parties, amazingly, the politicians, through the use of biased and corrupt media and social media manipulations and propaganda machines, they've managed to get the voters to get this, to turn on each other. We have turned our anger rather We know Congress is not doing their job. Every poll, every survey says this. But somehow, someway, these people in power have manipulated us to the point that we are not turning our anger towards change in Washington, D.C., but we're directing our anger against each other. This is a very sad and ironic. You know, as as when you think about it, the poor Trump supporter living in the Appalachians in West Virginia, probably has a lot more in common with the poor Biden supporter from inner city Detroit than they have differences. Yet, the people have been deceived by these parties to hate each other first and become even more tribalistic and more dedicated to following the party mantra. It's actually an incredible thing to see. Sure, there is a popular mobilization and activism that's out there, but it's in a very destructive direction. And and by the way, financed by the ultra-wealthy capitalists in partnership with these political parties and po- politicians. See, those that have power, the best way to keep power is to make certain that none of the anger is directed at them, but rather if we direct it at each other, They keep going with lots of money, sleight of hand media manipulation, smooth talking snakes of politicians who smile and are oh so friendly and caring and compassionate and talk about bringing the nation together with the camera lights on them, but then stab their constituents in the back once the lights fall and the backroom deals ensue, which none of us get to ever be a part of. So all that anger and all that frustration the voters feel is taking the form of unfocused anger, attacks on each other, and on the most vulnerable targets. That's what happens in a world dominated by a few. A few very, very wealthy individuals and only two unchallenged political parties. This concentration of power is way too extreme, and the result is a corrosive world of anger and hate. We are living it right now. See, if these politicians convince the people to face all their angers towards the other team, they're off scot-free. The scapegoats are set. Citizens fear citizens so much, they won't even talk to each other anymore. The enemy is targeted, ourselves, and the name-calling ensues. The fear-mongering reaches epic proportions. And the political and economic status quo remains fully and 100% intact. The political parties win. The extremely wealthy elites win. And everyone else in America loses. We the people 
We've been played. We have to admit it. We we were duped. We were naive. We were innocent. And until we, the people, wake up, those in power, they will control us. Whether we fully realize it and want to take ownership of it or not, think of that time and how many times Americans are attacking other Americans because they hold a different political perspective. And if we keep doing this, the government and those in power will continue to take more and more. The rich will continue to get richer and rich, and there is no end in sight. So what in the world is the solution to this beyond just complaining about it in a podcast? I mean, this is, a mil- this is the million-dollar question. True action for change. I believe requires two things. Number one is an attitude change. Kind of like the alcoholic who finally says enough is enough. People need to be sick and tired of being sick and tired at watching this childish behavior, the lack of open-mindedness, the brain-dead zombie walking of our politicians that are parroting the party line no matter what, uh, the manipulations of the law to score political points. We need enough people just flat out ticked off and and deciding to say, no matter what they want, I want something different. Then truly, we can begin to shift this mantra away from the domination of these two political parties. See, the political parties with a monopoly on political thought, which they have a true monopoly. They've convinced us we have no choice but to choose a side. Either vote for Trump or the country will become socialist. Either vote for Biden or the deranged dictator will destroy our world. This comes back to a a very well-known idea. All independents or even disillusioned party faithful fill it. It's called in political science, Duviger's Law, or the law that in a two-party political system, voters are very scared to just quote-unquote, waste their vote on a third-party candidate unlikely to win. We need to really consider this law, this political science law, very carefully because the two political parties, this is their this is their gold-plated armor as they use this. As this is the rallying cry, the defense, the dagger that is driving our country deeper and deeper into just political corruption. Because if they get the voters to just throw up their arms and say, oh, well, both candidates are terrible, but which one do I hate least? They win every single time. Because if you think about it, whether Trump wins and gets four years, the Democratic Party is still going to exist. Or let's say Trump loses and Biden wins, the Republican Party is still going to be there and they'll get another shot at it. They win no matter what. As long as it's just those two parties, they really don't have to worry about being pushed out of business. So if this is you, and it has been me that, oh, I can't waste my vote on something else, I have to choose one of these two parties, you have more than likely been played emotionally into that, oh my goodness, X, Y, or Z will happen if I quote unquote throw away my vote. So... As much as I hate that politician, and I don't even trust him, and I surely don't like him, I guess I'm just going to go ahead and cast a vote for them anyway. Recent Pew survey found 
that nearly 57% of Americans want a third party. Imagine, just imagine the shockwaves Americans would send through this two-party system and this power structure in the country if even 30 or 40% of Americans would say, we're going to vote out every single incumbent politician in the House and the Senate. We're going to turn the whole damn thing over. Wow. Talk about retaking control from the parties. Talk about taking power away from those really, really rich people, really rich corporations that have paid so much money to keep their pol- their politician in place in their district, in their state, and the American people come around and sweep them all out of power. That would be stunning, a stunning reversal. And America, united as Americans, saying, get your act together right now. Or, by the way, we'll do it again in another two years. You better listen to us. You better put the country first. And if you don't, and if you start showing this corruption, this conceit, this loyalty to party over the people that put you in office, we'll throw you out too. That's pretty powerful. So, if you don't like either candidate, you don't have to participate in that party's don't throw away your vote. You know, if you vote for, if you don't vote for Biden and you vote for a third party, I mean, then Trump's going to destroy the nation or Trump saying, don't, don't vote for a third party. Because if you do that, I mean, you're just going to make sure the country's socialist and you may never get to vote again because the country will be socialist. Think about it. If you hate the candidates, why give even one of them a say? Unless, of course, they have you hoodwinked with their end time story propaganda. We have to get to a point in this country where we don't buy their end of times stories that they're telling us. And we need to do what's right for the country. And if enough people would start to move that needle, things could change. want to talk a little bit about our government, which in many ways promotes anti, which promotes these monopolistic, tendencies it's funny because our government you know they say that monopolies are bad and they they actually have antitrust laws in place to get rid of them except of course in relation to the two-party political system where they have deemed themselves judge and jury and deemed their monopoly on political thought as very valid and very good for the country in the united states we have these antitrust laws that regulate conduct organization of business corporations but most importantly to this discussion to promote competition for the benefit of consumers. I want to propose at this time that the American people need to bring charges of antitrust against the RNC and DNC for violating the public trust. And the way we do this by bringing charges is at the ballot box. They have failed to serve the citizens of this country. They are sowing discord. They're creating division across the country for one purpose, of gaining or keeping political power. Just as antitrust laws attempt to stop price-fixing or restraining free trade in the corporate world, the two political parties are attempting to strangle all debate and consideration of any middle ground outside the groupthink of the party. Studies show that over 90% of the time, these Congress people, when they get there, they vote exactly along party lines. How utterly pathetic, how utterly sheep in a herd like of these spineless politicians that are more beholden to the political party and not doing the will of the people. 
you know, it's interesting down here in Florida, all the new people trying to over unseat one of these incumbent incumbents, they come in and they say, we I'll work on both sides of the aisle. You know, I'm, I might be a Democrat, but I have no problem reaching out to the Republicans to get the best solution for the people. How many times are we going to hear that? And then how many times are those politicians going to get in that cesspool of Washington, D.C.? And within three months, every single vote they ever cast is in perfect alignment with the party. As those those dinosaur Congress people in charge, whether it's Pelosi or Schumer or Mitch McConnell or whomever is in the House right now for the Republicans, they they get their people to do exactly what they need them to do when they want them to do it. Most importantly, in the antitrust to this conversation is this abuse of monopolistic power. Let me give you one example. The last time an independent or a member of any party other than the DNC and RNC ever took the debate stage was in 1992. Some of you may remember Ross Perot, who actually, he fared pretty well. He finished with almost 19% of the popular vote, and he's often given credit for ensuring uh, George Bush would lose and Bill Clinton wins that election. 20%, that's a big chunk of the vote. That's the last time we saw an independent on any national debate stage during the general elections. Since then, the Commission of Presidential Debates, which of course is made up of both the Democrats and the Republicans, has put a veritable stranglehold on who gets on the stage. There's never been anybody from the Green Party, no one from the Libertarian Party, no independent has ever made the debate stage since then. Before that, there were independents who would make it, but one, two, three, five percent of the vote didn't really bother them. But along comes Ross Perot in 1992, and nearly 20 percent of the vote, that is a huge section of the U.S. population. So in essence, they have ensured that never again will we hear an alternative voice in this country on a national debate stage ever since our lovely commission on presidential debates has been in play. Uh, The commission, of course, is 100% beholden by these parties, and they have refused time and time again to consider anyone but these two parties. I'm not to say the Green Party or the Libertarian Party, or this year there is a viable independent candidate who could move votes i mean i'm not going to go that far for 2020 but that convenient that very convenient argument of oh they're too small nobody wants to see them or hear them they are irrelevant oh sure they're irrelevant i guess if you say so commission of presidential debates made up entirely of people who are either Democrat or Republican. Sure, if you say so, it must be bad. So, I mean, great logic. I mean, who who would ever want to hear opinions and ideas outside the dogmas and name-calling we hear from the DNC and RNC every single day? I mean, who would ever want to hear any other opinion than those two extreme views? I mean... Really, this has nothing to do with that convenient argument that nobody really wants to see them on the stage. I would bet most people would die to see another opinion on the stage besides the babbled mantra of both parties that they just repeat over and over and over again. Let's face it, the last thing, the last thing any of the major parties want is any third party candidate 
anywhere having any voice at all. God forbid in America we consider alternatives to these goose-stepping party liners. Yet, I would really, it would be blind to assume a change is not a major step. Things can and should change, but it takes a long, grinding building of momentum some side of some sort of a viral moment of epic proportions that then turns into a sustainable movement where backlash against these two corrupt and inept parties goes mainstream. It's a big, big ask, especially as how especially as hoodwinked as all of us are right now in believing these two parties and aligning up just so tightly on one side or the other. It would seem such absolute power, though, vested in two political parties. It should have proven to us by now that our democracy is, well, undemocratic in many ways. Power needs to be ripped from them, as they will never, ever give it up for the good of the nation. This is obvious that the tactic of separating all of us into the us versus them, this tribalism, is an awful sickness that's going on in this country. But it is wildly successful for the political parties to keep power. We need to end this. As reform seems impossible if of these two parties, because the extremes are pushing so hard, the only solution is breaking up the... using our antitrust concept on our politics. We need to break it up, just like a monopolistic corporation is split up in the corporate world. We need a new separation of powers in this country, a reimagined one. Not the judicial executive legislation, but a separation of the two powers that have come to almost become synonymous as if they are the government, as if they've always been there, as if these two parties are just the way it is. It's... The Constitution nowhere, anywhere, at any point in time says that the Democrats and the politicians run everything. They are completely separate from our Constitution, and we need to remember that, and we need to consider taking that back. I am not a politician, but I would think the DNC could possibly be split up into maybe a far-left progressive. I've actually talked to students who believe that the DNC right now, they're not progressive at all. They need to go a lot further left. Maybe they need to split between that and maybe a more fiscally conservative but socially liberal, a mid-range Democrat. You know, they we used to have, that was the part of the party that used to really dominate the scene. And then in the RNC, the same thing. You could split this up from a very hardcore conservative faction and maybe a more centrist style. There's always been centrist Republicans and there's always been hardcore conservatives. So that could possibly be split up. And then even for good measure, throw in a throw in a fifth party square in the middle. Force these parties issue by issue to collaborate, form coalitions, negotiate and loosen that vice grip of control that the two parties have right now. I'm not necessarily a fan of European democracies, but I do know one thing. I do believe they have this right, that in most instances, in most of the countries of Europe and other democracies, there are more than two political parties. This is a good and healthy thing for debate and decentralizing the stranglehold of power 
that these two parties have. Just as corporations can get incredibly abusive when they get too big. Look at some of our tech giants. Uh, they get too powerful. They get too arrogant. This has been happening in our politics. Time to bust up this monopoly of the RNC and DNC. Time to reimagine our political structure. As if we're not careful, right now, today, we are seeing signs from these two political parties that they are not democratic at all, but rather they almost sound Hitler-esque or Stalin-esque in their language and propaganda spewing. They're trying to convince us to attack each other if we don't and attack those people who don't follow one party line or the other. That is not democracy. That is the beginnings of socialism or communism or fascism. And it's scary that they know the best way to win power is to pit the voter against voter, American against American. And that is not democracy. If I was king for a day, I would think in a minimum a more virtuistic model than break these more than just breaking these parties up. So humor me on what I think would be a, a best solution. There seems right now like an opportunity for raising a, I don't know, we'll just call it United Party, in which people, they reject the extremes of the progressivism and reject the extremes of conservatism. And they could create this a party platform inclusive of multiple opinions and ideas. And, and those elected into this party... They would only vote in accordance with the will of the people that put them in power. I mean, even not sure this is totally possible, but with technology as it is today, could literally these these representatives that come from this new party could literally be given an opportunity for input before every vote to ensure the electorate has the power to decide all the time and they're not being hoodwinked by a overpowering party and they're not being colluded to and and bought off by special interest groups or very wealthy donors and actually the party reflects and represents the constituents that are put there you know in a united party like this maybe in some districts those in that party they could vote more liberal as the people who live in that area tend to be more liberal more liberal or you put them in office somewhere that comes from a conservative area hey, they're going to vote more conservative, but the party wouldn't control them. The party wouldn't chastise them. The party wouldn't threaten to castigate these members or strong are them to get back in line with the party. I would think a party like that with this bedrock foundation of simply serving its constituents would resonate strongly with people. We hear that same mantra in these blubbering speeches right now from people in the RNC and DNC about how oh, they're going to D.C. to fight for us. But then in tangible action, they do nothing. But rather, what if we had a party that would actually commit to do the hard things when it really mattered as the party had one goal, serve the people? Yeah, I know this is probably just some crazy pipe dream. Maybe someday someone or some group can execute on this in some way, shape, or form. But I do believe a party that ensures the voters are represented first would cut the knees off of these power-hungry political parties that have become so corrupt and so entrenched and 
almost inextricably from our government and our constitution, I think that style of party could resonate really strongly. But for now, we are in a crisis, and this crisis is from a monopolistic power of the political parties. I foreshadow this coming election in November, on the one hand, this is probably going to be the ugliest, disgusting, and dangerous election we have seen. If the rest of this follows the same format and model as the last political date, it's going to be bad. It's going to be corrupt, nasty, terrible. These, these two parties have become so horrible that maybe, just maybe, they will treat this election so poorly that real change could emerge. That people get so disgusted in the actions, in the attitudes of these politicians and the media that finally they say, enough is enough. So if I have hope, it's almost like that disgusting mantra politicians love to pr- love to repeat. Never let a good crisis go to waste. Well, maybe in the aftermath of this upcoming election, if it goes as poorly as I believe it might, maybe this time the American people can use this crisis to force the hand of the political parties to really change and represent the people. Time will tell. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. I hope you found value in this topic. We as Americans, we don't have to accept such substandard performance from our politicians. We can and should consider options. It is not the American way to simply blindly accept such shoddy, corrupt, and morally devoid actions from our politicians. Maybe the time is coming for change. We can only hope so. Remember, I generally publish new episodes every Monday and Wednesday. So if you click like or follow, you'll be alerted when new episodes come available. Until the next episode, I hope you have a wonderful week.